You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Well, there you go. There's the um, uh, sound cue for our straight talk. We uh, just had a great um, guest in Peter Crow talking about uh, counseling and from a Christian Catholic perspective. And now this is your opportunity to really um, form the show the way you want it. This is the period of time where the listeners, you out there, get the opportunity to call in with a questions or thoughts or anything they want to share from any standpoint, anything they want, to, anything that's on their mind. Remember, it's a family show. And you do that by calling 877-795-0122. That's 877-795-0122. Or you can go through our Facebook page and submit a question that way. You don't have to be on the air. You can actually call in and give your own question, and then they'll just write it down for us, and then we'll read it when it's ready. So you can either be on the air and talk to us live, or you can just submit the question. This this is your opportunity to ask a, a local priest a question that... Maybe you have a theological or any type of realm of uh, question that you've always wanted to maybe bounce off the church or somebody of faith, uh, faith leader, and this is your chance to do it. That's 877-795-0122, and we'll challenge you to submit questions sooner rather than later because it seems to be it's always like at least in the second half of the, the call-in segment. Well, last time I joined you, <clears throat> it took a few minutes for individuals to call in or throw a Facebook one out there. We did have some very intriguing ones, and I would encourage uh, listeners to call in or Facebook in and ask about, you know, a little more about Peter Kroll as well. Um, we have a little background information on it. If they want to talk about how does uh, therapy intertwine with faith and how does the therapy differ from when you come in and talk to a priest and so forth, um, Facebook or the number 877-795-0122. Well, and as Peter said, he said just Google his name and then Duluth and you'll find it. So just so you know, it's Peter Kroll's K-R-O-L-L, and he is an excellent uh, um, uh, counselor, and he's certainly been helpful to us priests. There's no doubt about it. We should probably go back to the Rolodex. A lot of yes. our listeners may not know what a Rolodex is. I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm actually younger than you. Do you still don't have. I know so, you are, but so I yes, know. I think most people know what a roller deck is. I mean, <laughs> at least most of our listeners, I would think it yeah, is. So I haven't heard that for a long time. I do so not. I I've, I've never even owned a roller deck. Now it's all in the phone. You just now pull it up, I used type a in a book. name, and there it is. So. When I was like newly ordained, we didn't have these smartphones, so I had a little book with a bunch of numbers. But uh, yes. so yeah. So anyhow, yes. so um, again, it's eight seven 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 nine five zero one. Two two. If you happen to be driving in the state of Minnesota, you have to pull over if you're going to ask a question because it's against the law, yep. unless you have it hands-free. Or you can go through our Facebook page, and uh, we do have a question that is being cooked up right now, but we have to wait a little bit before that question gets formulated on our computer screen. So, so again, this, go this ahead. weekend I was at uh, one of your prior assignments up at uh, St. Joe's in Ganesa. St. Joe's in Ganesa. I love that What parish. a beautiful little church that yep. is. It is packed. Completely packed, and everybody yep. was singing again. It was such a beautiful liturgy. Um, Father Seth uh, was there. His last weekend's coming up. A yep. different the 11th, know, realignment right. in the Duluth parishes. So correct. Um, yep. You I, were there for five or seven years. I, I was there that. for eleven years. Eleven years. Eleven St. John's years. and St. Joe's. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, looks like we have a question there, Deacon John. You want to read it? I'll be happy to. So Terry from North Dakota, can you define host us when we say Holy, Holy Lord God of Hosts? And number two, the back section is, I know that when we say, oh, there it goes, bread of angels, 
we are referring to the Eucharist. Can you explain how the term bread of angels came into existence? So go ahead, take the first section. Yeah, so the first section is Lord of hosts is any heavenly being. Host means heavenly being, generally angels, but any type of heavenly being. So um, uh, he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, all in heaven, all beings in heaven, all beings on earth. And then the, the bread of angels, I mean, I'm going to shoot from the hip here a little bit, but I do believe that that comes from the book of Exodus, when it was a, uh, or at least maybe not from the book of Exodus, but maybe in the Psalms, where it was a reference back to the Exodus experience, where God gave the Hebrews the very sustenance of the angels. And then, of course, that is a foreshadowing of the Eucharist, is the true bread of the angels, the true, um, you know, food from heaven, which is the Eucharist. So everything in the Exodus experience, the Exodus event of the manna, is um, actually for the sole purpose of foreshadowing the uh, Christ. And then, of course, the, uh, the the bread that he offers in his body. Questions are coming in today. This is very exciting. Pretty, pretty quick. And yeah, we, also, quick, we, have, so. we have another one that's in green already. We do have another one. This is a very intriguing one as well because we are seeing some um, communion rails pop up in, okay. the, in the parishes from uh, Hibbing as well as sure, uh, sure. St. Ben's here in Duluth recently. So Bruce from Duluth says, what is the difference between receiving communion on the hand versus receiving communion on the tongue? Ooh, we could spend the whole half hour on this one, Bruce. Yes, and so... The um, uh, you know the oldest I'll try and be a very quick synopsis here, but the oldest form of reception of the Eucharist, at least that we have um, records of, is actually receiving on the hand, and that might be shocking to people because usually people think, well, the older way is actually on the tongue, but that's not really the case. We have the um, uh, the writings of Saint Justin Martyr, who's middle of the second century. Uh, he speaks to the reception of the Eucharist, and he talks about how you know, one hand acts enthrones the other hand and you receive the Eucharist and then the hand that enthrones the other hand, you know, you take up and receive. And so that's the oldest record that we have on the reception of the Eucharist. But at the Council of Trent, you know, I mean, I'm just very quickly here, you know, as time developed at the Council of Trent, there became more of a, a an emphasis on the, the, um, uh, um, the sacredness of the Eucharist to a degree to where you don't even touch it because the priest's hands are consecrated, not your hands. And and there was a um, a, a council. Of Trent was in response to the Protestant Reformation that really dismi- was became dismissive of the Eucharist in a sacramental way that we have it. And so between the Council of Trent and say up into our lifetimes, the late 1960s, you only received on the tongue. But Pope Paul VI, I believe the year was 1968, could have been 1969. Um, then allowed back uh, the the more ancient form of receiving on the hands. And so receiving on the hands is actually the more ancient form. Now, the one thing I will say to this is that in my observation, this, this is just my observation, my observation is that that when we received on the hands, that back in that, you know, that cultural era of the late 60s, 1970s, that, that kind of brought along uh, um, a double-edged sword. Number one, people felt more intimate towards the Eucharist in some ways. But I think maybe a more a broad thing that was happening is that people um, maybe took it in less reverence form. If you can only put it on your tongue, then more you know reverence. use more of a reverence. Uh, but but that's a byproduct, and that was not the intent of it. And so you know I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years. It's like, well, this way is better than the other way. It's like, no, you got to be careful about yeah. that because my pat answer is like, is your tongue really more worthy than your hands? Right. No, right. no <laughs> it's not, not, it's not no, more. No. You know, generally speaking, you you sin more with your tongue. Yep. You know, and so, uh, and so we just have to be careful that that one is not better than the other. Right. Period. And there's a lot of people that think one is better. Absolutely not. Don't be more Catholic than the Pope. All right. So the uh, the Church offers both options. The more ancient option surprisingly, to a lot of people, is on the hand. On the hand. And I didn't know that. Um, I do remember as a server here in St. James when I was growing up. 
and I was a server. We had the patents, and it was only receiving on the tongue. Um, and you always had to be careful as an altar yep. server to not poke them with the Adam's apple. Correct. Before, um, yep, I did so the same forth. thing. Yep. Um, so that, that's a great explanation. So thank you for that. We're waiting for another call or another question to come in. I don't think we have anybody on the line yet. So if you want to dial and ask Father Rich a question, it's 877-795-0122 or on Facebook. Go ahead and submit your question, and uh, we can read it on the air as we just did and uh, get some great insight on something and, you may be, may be wondering. And you did, you know, I mean, you did bring up the point that, you know, more and more, at least in our area, there's more and more uh, churches that seem to be having the communion rail come back. Yes. And uh, that's where a lot of people are maybe coming up with the question, you know, I mean, okay, maybe there's a tension within our community, and how yes. do you do it? And, and you know, I mean, I think that the, the introduction of the communion rail is great insofar as that it, it says, okay, you know, more of a reverence and a more of a honor and respect to the Eucharist, which I think we are sorely lacking because, I, agree. I mean, a lot of people don't even know what the Eucharist is. Okay, So if you, if you bring that, if you show that outward sign of reverence, super important, but as long as proper catechesis. Correct. My, in my, again, I'm only speaking to my experience, but in my experience, um, uh, and this is just my experience, so you can call and be angry with me when I say this, but uh, lots of times people that want to do it the more traditional way tend to look down on the people that don't do it the traditional way. And you can't do that. No, you cannot. They, no, they, you cannot. they are equal. And yes. so we have, to be, we have to be cautious on on how we do that. It is not better to receive on the tongue than to receive on the hand. And I think it's, it's important to note, too, that in the parishes that do have communion rails, it's not a requirement that you kneel at the communion rail. You may stand and receive on the hand versus on the tongue, or you may kneel at mm-hmm. the communion rail as well. So it's an opportunity for catechesis, as you said, to introduce to people what the options are. Right. And again... Explained, and you were receiving the Eucharist. You're not taking the Eucharist, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does. It does. Um, uh, it does open up a lot of uh, can of worms in regards to people's feelings on such. You know, for example, just like just this morning, you know, at weekday mass, I had I had um, uh, um, somebody kneel to receive the Eucharist, and we don't have a communion right. rail here, and so sometimes that can be just an awkward practical thing. You know, I've seen people stumble on that. Yes. You know, the people behind them not expecting that, and so. You know, I always, you know, always ask. I always want people to to ask themselves, "What's my intention by doing something like that?" When I'm really doing something really out of the norm, again, is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. But what is my interior intention if I'm going to kneel when everybody else is in line and they're right. standing? So what what what's going? What's behind Why am that? I doing that? And sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a good reason. Yep. But sometimes it's not. And right. so I, I, you know, I just try and encourage people to to ask questions of themselves. You're not. None of us are worthy to receive the Eucharist. And so, you know, we're not. Just like I said, our tongue is not more worthy than our hands. We're simply not worthy. And so so to say, well, I'm going to get on my knees to show that I'm not worthy, you know, okay, okay, to a degree, in some settings that's okay, but part of me says, get over yourself. None of us are worthy. And we should always be, and that's where our catechesis, people in my position and your position, we have to catechize the faithful because the fact is that the majority of people are people that don't really get the Eucharist. And they don't, well, the, going back to that survey, um, it's the majority of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of well, the body I'm, of I'm, in the Well, I'm also very cautious of surveys. You know, I how, am as how, well, are the, how is the question asked? You know? yeah, right, but you can but, also ask a lot of parishioners as well, you know, is it symbolic or is it right, the right, body yeah. blood of Christ? So eight, eight, we could have a whole segment on we that. We could easily. 877 <laughs> Zero one two two. Some of the stuff that we're saying right now might, um, uh, you know, bring out some emotions on people. That's just fine. It's perfectly good. Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two, and or on Facebook. So the thing is, is that so the thing is, is that um, uh, 
again, in the, the heart of it all is that we need the, we need the catechesis of the folks and, uh, the people that are, you know, receiving, you know, kneeling down, they're the ones that get it. Yes. You know? And so, so, I mean, I'm not trying to beat up on people like that at all. I'm just saying, right. you know, look at your intention, but the people that, that, um, uh, like, for example, and again, this is going to cause some controversy possibly, you know, I've had people that have totally quit going to mass because of COVID and they're young people. Like just this weekend, I had people show up for the first time. First I haven't time seen back. them for a year and a half. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't get it. Yeah. I hate to say, you know, I mean, again, I, this might tick off some listeners, but you don't get it because there's no way in the world I could have gone a year and a half without receiving the Eucharist. And exactly. if you think that this is just like a social thing that you just go and you, you, you know, you have your opportunity to greet your f- friends and you're a greeter or w- whatever, you are not getting what we are here for. There's no way that if you're in tune with what the Eucharist is, you could have gone a year and a half willy-nilly and not go and receive the Eucharist because there's a disease out there that has a less than 1% chance of mortality. You don't get it. Exactly. You don't get it. Exactly. And it's my job as priest to catechize. To to and coming up here in August, year B, we're in year B, we have a whole series of Gospels, series of weeks on John 6. Yep. And my intention is to hit that one super hard on what the Eucharist is in light of people not coming to Mass because of COVID. So it's my hope that as listeners are listening to this today, and, and it's a great conversation, we need some more questions to come in as well, but we'll focus on this as long as we have to and, and can because it's a great opportunity. But if your heart is being stirred at this moment, call your local priest. Talk to them about the Eucharist. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have uh, a, a lack of, of, of faith in regards to what the Eucharist is, go. Talk to them. Get some catechesis. Seek out the catechism. Catechism yeah. is a great tool as well for self-catechesis, but also Talk to others about it so that they can learn and come back to appreciate what the Eucharist is because the Eucharist is the summit of our faith. Yeah, the Eucharist is, is what it's all about. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's why we're Catholic. Exactly. <laughs> and so, exactly. And so, you know, I mean, if, if, if uh, oh, I can't remember what, what's the author's name, the short story author, the Catholic, the woman, really, really popular. Oh, I just got her autograph in my collection. I can't remember what her name is. But anyhow, um, uh, uh, Southern uh, short story uh, um, author, she was in a, um, a very famous. It's just not coming to it. But anyhow, she had a she had a, a conversation with somebody at a at a uh, like a cocktail party, and somebody said to her, "said Well, we think that the Eucharist is just it's just a symbol, symbolic." Yeah. And and uh, and she and she said, "No, I know that this is Catholic radio, but she said if it's just a symbol, then just to hell." She said, "To hell with it." Really? Yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. what what's the what, point? What's the point exactly? Yeah. Well, it's I'm in, not Catholic for a symbol. No, other denominations after as we know. Um, after they receive communion, Flannery O'Connor. That's who it was. Flannery O'Connor. The bread, the the bread. They just take it and they put it in the social hall for everybody else to have afterwards because it. After that, is symbolic. You yeah. Know? Well, it, yeah. It's, I mean, what, what is that? It, it is, and so this is. I mean, huge differentiates us from the Protestants is that that just as you say, just to bring that break that up a little bit. They, you know, lots of them, not all denominations, a lot of denominations when they have communion, when they have Eucharist, yep. it's substantial bread. Yep. And so, and then after their liturgies, they bring it down to the potluck. Exactly. And so, clearly, clearly, it's, 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 and so, you know, it's, so that Bruce's question from early on about receiving on the tongue or kneeling, it was a, <laughs> it, it got a lot of emotions going. But the thing that I could talk about for two hours straight is this whole COVID people yes. not going to Mass. Yes. Because there's nothing, very few things that gets me going more than how a lot of our faithful, quote unquote, faithful Catholics, responded to COVID. And I've said this repeatedly. I've said it repeatedly to the live stream audience, Deacon John, at my masses that that COVID has made a ton of faithful Catholics non-practicing. Yes, I would agree. Because of a disease 
because of a disease that has less, less than one percent mortality rate yeah. for the vast and majority. You had it. I had it bad. Yes. And, and, and the thing is that that a lot of people, there are people that are, are in more vulnerable. Yes, be, there are. But I'm yes. talking about people that were not. Your average healthy individual right. who chose to stay home for over a year. And so for my challenge. Come for, back to mass. For, for me, it's my challenge to greet these people back in and welcome them and not like want to you know say something terse to them you know well i have to be very cautious of we that. have to say welcome it's good to see you again we're yep. glad you're here and draw them in versus being putting up it, a wall it so. happened just it happened just this weekend yes. so 877-795-0122 that's 877-795-0122 or on facebook and we as, have, a, we have we another wait, one coming up for another one coming in yep. i'll make a comment on the vulnerable it's the vulnerable and the elderly who have missed the Eucharist who are not able to get to church and we were not able to bring to them because they were in a lockdown facility. Once we're able to bring communion as a deacon, we do that. We heard, oh, it is so good. It is so right. good to receive right. the Eucharist again. Thank you for coming. And it's really sad that they were not able to participate in that and that they were locked down from that. But once you hear that and see that, they are so appreciative of it. Right. And it's so sad to see a different generation say, I'm just going to stay yeah. home. Yeah, and it was... Yeah. Okay. I, I can okay. speak oh, more to it, but we got, yes, we have, here we go. John is on the phone. All right. So John, from, John Duluth. from Duluth. Yes. Go ahead, John. Father Rich and Deacon John, how are you guys? Nice Good. To talk well, to you. thank you. Welcome to Real Presence Live. What's your question, John? Um, it may be a bit of a landmine. It's a bit of a controversial topic, but I'd like you to comment on whether a politician who's openly against or at least present him or herself as against church teaching if they should should be given the Eucharist. Um, if you can maybe talk about some of the guidelines that the church gives in a situation like that, like when you as a priest or a deacon can give the Eucharist to somebody who you may know is openly denying church teaching and teaching against it, and, and when you can do that. So, you know, I know it's a it's a hot button issue, so that's why I'd like to hear your yeah. thoughts on it. Thanks, John. I love hot button sure. issues. The more <laughs> controversial question, I welcome them. That's the more of the ones I like. Okay, so um, uh, number one, first off, this might surprise you a little bit, but um, uh, when somebody comes up to receive the Eucharist in the context of the liturgy, you give them the Eucharist. All right. And so the only time in the context of the liturgy that you would refuse them the Eucharist in the context of the liturgy, the only time is if you have a strong suspicion that they are going to desecrate, okay? Uh, now, what happens if, say, like, let's say, an uh, 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 outspoken politician that's uh, Catholic, that's very pro-choice, comes up to receive the Eucharist, in that context, I'll give them the Eucharist, but you know what's going to happen? I'm going to call them or even talk to them immediately after Mass and say, let's talk, come to my office, all right? And so, out of the context of the liturgy is when I would address the issue, and make it very clear to them what they should and what they shouldn't be doing based on their, you know, let's say their reputation in the local community or in the national community. And so uh, that's how I would go about doing it. My opinion is that anybody that is uh, uh, obviously inherently against something that church holds completely sacred and they're Catholic, they should not receive a communion. They absolutely should not receive communion. But the challenge you have at the moment of, of reception, uh, distributing communion is... 
you, me as a deacon, I don't know if they've been to confession. Yeah, so what's on I, our judgment? I, yeah, right? I can't make that judgment call at all. The same for you if you have a conversation in the office and they come back the following week to receive communion. But I think John's questions is reference for somebody who's like openly, openly out there yes. and doing it. So I'll, right. I'll tell you an experience I had years ago. I won't, I won't even tell you the parish, but I was the pastor of a parish that had somebody that, that worked for Planned Parenthood. And so I had to address this issue. They worked for Planned Parenthood and they were a lector. Yeah. And really? so I had to, I had to keep them. They couldn't lecture anymore. Right. Exactly. You know? And so I, I had to meet with them and say, you can't lecture based on. Now they weren't in Planned Parenthood that was doing the abortions, but they but were working, working in, in that organization, organization, which is a cause of a, of a scandal. Yes. You know. Yes. And so those things happen. You know. I mean, and, and uh, they're they're touchy subjects. But from my opinion, John, on that question that you had. I think this is a Catholic Church's teaching, not just my priestly opinion, but but those people that are very openly anti against the church's sacred teaching on something so sacred as as life, they absolutely should not right. receive communion. And our bishops have to stand up to that, and they have to address this issue to these politicians that are now Catholic that are very out there, like our president, our Speaker of the House. These have to be addressed because if we don't. Who's going to exactly. address it? And I think it's fantastic that you say you will ask them to have a conversation. Right. Because you need to do that. You need to be willing to do that. And, and some priests may not be comfortable doing that, but I encourage them all to take that model that you do and say, let's have a conversation as, after Mass. It's very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's, there's a big cause of scandal. I'm not only is. Is it good, it's not only not good for their own soul, but it's also people in the pews are looking at and seeing this and say, well, the church must be okay with that. Exactly. You know? and, so, and so that's where the cause of scandal becomes a real serious issue, and it's not just a talking point. Exactly. Well, we have another one coming in, but it, uh, until it shows up for us to be able to, to announce, 877-795-0122 or on Facebook. Please throw out a question out there. Father Rich is willing to tackle any subject. Uh, today, we'd love to have any controversial question that you want to ask. We have a, yeah, we have a, we're actually we've had a number of good questions. We're already coming yeah. up towards the end of our segment, but we do have a, uh, we have one in the oven being baked right now. <laughs> if you're, if you're in our studio, you'd see we have to wait for it to turn green on yep. the screen. Yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, these are great. These are the topics that I um, obviously I would die for this topic. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Eucharist. Yes. What priest wouldn't? You know? Exactly. And so, and so it's like this is this is something that is. Uh, that is like the foremost, this is the top of the pyramid of hierarchies of importance in regards to the Eucharist and, you know, how we receive, who should receive, who shouldn't receive, how we shouldn't receive. All these things are what animate the priest because that's what we are. That's what we do. You don't go to church for the music. No. You don't go to church for the social aspect of it. You go to church for the Eucharist. No, right. you should not. And that's what you, you touched on that earlier is. Why do you go to church? Would well, that be another great subject and topic? Sometimes is there's, why you know, do you go to church? There's been there was there there have been studies that have been done in, in Catholic churches, and, and the majority, at least the last study I saw, the majority of people said that they go to church primarily because of the homily. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's bad catechesis, right that's there. Right. That that's hom- right. that priest, that homily should be saying no. This is the reason why you go to church. Exactly. It's all about the Eucharist. And the thing is, like, you might be bored by it because it's the same thing every single week. It's done the same way every single week, and the homily is the one thing that's different. But the fact is that. If you're bored by it, it's more of a testimony of you than it is of the Eucharist. Because you can't be bored by the the, tri, the second person of the Divine Trinity come in our presence. You've received, in, in, exactly. Yeah, we got, there we go. We Great. Got okay. Question. So, um, Cheryl from Knife River here in Minnesota says, I am really concerned that my daughter, who has five children, four of the children are girls. And while listening to the girls' friends who are practicing Catholics... They think that since our president feels that abortion is okay, and the media thinks abortion is okay, that it is acceptable. 
How do we change their minds? Why are more pastors not catechizing and teaching the truth to our children? Well, I mean, no, thank you, Cheryl. It's a good question. Number one, uh, parents are the primary teachers of the faith. All right, and so they, you know, as parents, you're going to have a gr- far, far greater impact on your children than what the priest will. Okay, because they get they, they, you know, they they might get Sunday school one hour a week, and the, they might hear they might be tuning the priest out during the homilies anyhow. So you, as the parent, are the primary uh, catechesis. You're you're the teacher of the faith, and that's where they're going to get most of it. That's where they're going to get most influence. Now, yeah, so Cheryl's daughter is the primary teacher. So Cheryl's right. a grandmother, so she has a right. challenge in regards to how to she encourage her daughter to be the primary teacher. Right. Well, yes. and then grandparents are also oh, great, too. Yeah, because, definitely. you know, I mean, I'll say that my personally, my number one influence on the faith was my grandmother. Grandma. My grandmother was my primary influencer on my faith. So, Cheryl, even though we're talking about your grandkids, no, you don't want to go do anything contrary to what your daughter is doing. You know, but as a grandma, your impact on your yes. grandkids can be even greater than what your kids can be, than what their parents can be. And so... So you have a huge part in that. But I'll, I will say this is that, that in the last part of your question, it's like I do say that the pastors have to be a they have to they have to they have to get a lot more gutsy. Yes. And not to be controversial, but we have to preach the truth. And if we don't, for heaven's sakes, who's going to? Right. You know, and so I thank God that I feel like I've got I've been blessed by a certain amount of courage to talk about issues like this. And I for me, it's not a it's not a virtue because I'm just driven by it. But a lot of priests they want to avoid stuff like that. So you can encourage your pastor to speak to issues. This, the weekend, the priest said, "You know, if you have never been, your heart's never been stirred, or you've never been upset or frustrated by listening to a homily, you're a saint, which no. none of us are. So we're here, no matter how hard it is as a priest to preach the truth to you. And if it does stir your heart and upset you, that's okay because right. we are preaching the truth, and you may not understand what the truth is. I can't remember who said it. Some saint or somebody said that um, a, a good homily agitates the, com- the agitates the comfortable and comforts the agitated. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, like, all when I when I'm about to address something controversial, I'll say it. I'll yeah. say, okay, here's something controversial. Some of you are going to be offended, and I almost always say. Quite frankly, I like doing this, and so it's like, <laughs> I know and, and and not to offend for the sake of offending, but you know, our Catholics, you know, the people in our pews tend to have much more of a reflection of our culture than our church. Yes, and so they're going to be coming in from all different aspects, all different angles of how their lives are lived, and a lot of these people have no interaction with faith except for that one hour, that forty-five minutes, right. all week long, and so that's they, the time you have. That, that's the time, you, and and they're going to be struggling. Because they're they're the Catholic Church sometimes have very uncomfortable messages, mm-hmm. but it's the truth. It's the truth, and that's what needs to be preached, and it what needs to be practiced, and what needs to be and exhibited out there by all practicing Catholics. I get very fired up, and so if you listeners want to get me very fired up, keep doing it. And so uh, call in for the next uh, in, in a month from now because I love this type of segment, and I love uh, telling you my opinion. We have so, an upcoming segment that's going to be very exciting. Yes, we have a. Um, a yep, we have a break here coming up very shortly. Very here. Short, and uh, uh, right after this break, we have a good priest friend of mine of the Diocese of Duluth, Father Ben Hatterich, is going to be on the air with us right after this brief break. <laughs> <laughs> 